great hall of grace, I grant that I was with the devil below in his great big fiery hall, where the devil was giving a ball. I checked my coat and hat and started gazing at the merry crowd who came to witness the show, and I must confess to you, there were many there I knew. Hello, hi. At the devil's ball. Welcome to The Dispatchist, a friendly conversation about hell and some other stuff. This is episode 26, The Antichrist. Woohoo! Yay! I think that is an inappropriate response to The Antichrist. Should we go? Okay. <laughs> inappropriate! Much better. With me this week are my co-hosts. Wait, let me try that again. I'm Jacob. <laughs> I'm Victoria. I'm Jamin! Yay! Yay! <laughs> so much festive. We're so excited. He just called us co-hosts. I don't know how I feel about that. How did we I, get... I didn't know we were getting promoted. Well, I, I'm going to delete that line. <laughs> if you're listening at home, he just deleted the line you didn't hear. That's right, where he gave us a promotion and a raise. I actually don't say the word co-host because I think it's actually, like, not co-equivalent. <laughs> so that's why I don't say it specifically. <laughs> we are hostlets. Hostlets. Mm-hmm. I have some entertainment this week. Woohoo! Being infested with dragons. That one sound that's very simple and cl- and clean. Well, they're rather large, I would imagine. So, I mean, the logistics are are part of the challenge here. So, does a dragon sitting on you count as an infestation? Hmm. I guess. I guess technically, I was I was thinking something more Hermonymus Boschian with like weird distortions of of things so that the dragons could fit. Oh, not like not like bed bugs. A different infestation. That's kind of cute though, like one tail lolling out. <laughs> <laughs> I have two questions. If you're infested by dragons, does that make you a horde? Mm. And two, syntactically, is there a difference in infested with dragons and infested by dragons? Like what does what does this entail? Oh that you have like, that, yeah, you have to differentiate. Like being lousy with dragons would mean that you are infested like like you have dragons like lice like lice right? i think the word by implies more active agency like the dragons have chosen to infest you and the word with is a little more passive like it's just sort of something that happened maybe you didn't notice oh crap <laughs> dragons yeah. somebody comes up and whispers you've got dragons <laughs> oh god how embarrassing <laughs> i didn't even notice <laughs> the heartbreak of dragons <laughs> Episode 26, Spit Take Count 1. (laughs) (laughs) Well, since it's my party, I brought snacks. Mm -hmm. This one went down a road that I went down. So there's two versions, one if you're British and one if you're Australian. They don't have avocados in Britain. They do. They grow them in Spain and they import them. Oh. Mm -hmm. Or they did before Brexit joke. Do they they boil them? (laughs) Soggy British avocados. Mm. I'm sorry, British listeners. British listener. (laughs) Sorry, British listener. (laughs) Just the one. The rest of you can just... Support us on Patreon. (laughs) (laughs) I had this... So I wanted to make this recipe from scratch, because this is party food. And specifically, it's Halloween party food, which is why I'm inviting you all to my Halloween party. And I was like, okay, this is on the recipe Christ on a cracker, so we'll just make it the Antichrist on a cracker. (laughs) You just hold the cracker upside down. Well, that's the Australian version. Oh. And 
It was basically a version of avocado toast, and I'll get into it. And then I realized there is no recipe such as Christ on a cracker. I was thinking of stuff on a shingle. <laughs> right. So we're back to like third grade camp. I guess it was sixth grade because we didn't cuss in third grade. And I was like, oh, great. So there is no Christ on a cracker. I made this whole thing up. What a debacle. But are you ready? Here's the story. Let's hear it. It's avocado toast. But under the avocado, if you're in Britain, you put Vegemite. Mm. And if you're in Australia, you use Marmite. Okay. And because Britons love, Britons love Marmite and Aussies love Vegemite and they each all hate the others, it's the worst possible thing you could do to somebody but it's disguised as avocado toast. Oh, so you're switching. Gotcha. So right. Ev- you're, everybody is displeased by this. Everybody's unhappy. Nice. You get the wrong yeast spread, and you don't like it. Ooh. Well, that's subtle. Happy Halloween! <laughs> that's subtle. <laughs> the wrong yeast spread. That's a very evocative phrase. Would you like another? <laughs> I actually like both of those things. I don't... Maybe because I'm not a connoisseur, I don't really know the difference. Oh, that's a good point. Like I've had my I've had my Marmite twig, twiglets, and I greatly enjoy them. And I've had my Vegemite toast, and I think it's just, I think you're right. You have to grow up with them to to differentiate. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Well, I have a, a drink that I think will go well with your yeast based snacks. It's yeast called snacks. <laughs> yeast snacks. Um, it is called the Antichrist Cocktail. It's it's a shot-based drink. So it's one-third shot Everclear, one-third shot Bacardi, and one-third shot Absolute Pepper, and three dashes of Tabasco sauce. So you take it as a shot. Hmm. Yeah. Doesn't that sound good? I mean, it does have rum, which I like. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I feel that a drink based on the Antichrist should be the conceptual opposite of slightly watered-down port. Oh, like uh, communion oh. wine? Yes. The opposite of communion wine? Right. This seems... Yes. But I don't know what that would be, because that, that makes no sense. But this kind of it maybe is that, because it's got the Everclear, so it's way more powerful, and it's mm. biting. That's you know, true. It's That's true. rather than... It intentionally causes chaos. It intentionally causes chaos, yes. Let me... Let, let me take a <laughs> shot of that. Yeah, I'll, I'll so, have one. Did you... <laughs> Yeah, interestingly, it's the one shot drank that has a pull tab. <laughs> <laughs> they make these tiny little tabs. Exactly. <laughs> call, call me out on my foley, thank you. <laughs> the carbonated antichrist. Speaking of carbonation, I do have another drink. And this, oh. again, is for people who don't drink alcohol. It's just mon- Monster Energy Drink. And the reason why I've chosen this is I found a article from 2014 titled Monster Energy Drink Promotes Satan, says woman in viral video. And so she has done an in-depth analysis of all the symbols on the Monster Energy Drink, including the M logo that she says could, uh, it appears to resemble three instances of the letter Vav, the Hebrew numeral for six. So oh, six, six, six. yes. Mm-hmm. Nice. She references Monster's slogan, Unleash the Beast Naturally. Right? And she says, this is not a Christian company at all, so why would they have a cross on the can? And her message, she she says, here's the message, it's the Antichrist. She also thinks that there's a cross in the letter O, or I guess there is, but she says that that resembles a crucifix. And if you hold it upside down while drinking... Which is the only way to drink a monster. 
<laughs> exactly. Chug, the chug, symbol. chug. <laughs> the symbol is inverted. So bottoms up in the double laugh, she said. This is how clever Satan is and how he gets into the Christian home and a Christian's life. I feel we, we, we worry about things a lot in this world. Listen, fellow frat brothers, invert the can, unleash the beast. <laughs> I'd like to see videos of Christians trying to drink. Well, I guess if you have a straw, right? I mean, so maybe that's the solution. I'm, I'm looking very closely at the Monster Energy logo, and I don't think those look like the Hebrew letter Val. I think they look like little duckies. You know, to me, what they look like is the um, three nails of the crucifixion. Ooh. So this might be a sacramental beverage. I think it's a sacramental beverage. I think we need to rethink the whole, like... Right, right. I think she's speaking negatively about a very faith-affirming beverage here. Yeah. I think unknown woman in in viral video is the Antichrist. Mm. Well, by definition, if she opposes monster energy, she must be. (sighs) Deep. Check us out on our Dispatches TikTok, where Victoria <laughs> chugs a monster and unleashes the beast, and Jacob drinks monster with a straw, the first person <laughs> in the world ever to do so. <laughs> oh, but you know what? We could start calling your snack. Un- unleash the yeast. <laughs> no, no, I like Antichrist on a cracker a lot better. <laughs> uh, what is it? Antichrist on a cracker, colon, unleash the yeast. It's like it's like chicken in a biscuit, but with yeast. <laughs> if you if you had a soft boiled egg, and and you made toast soldiers with them, it would be no. That's dumb. <laughs> oh, oh, like everything else has it. Like every- <laughs> <laughs> so on that note, it doesn't seem like the Antichrist actually appears in the Bible. I mean, there's the inversion of Christ, people that oppose Christ. But the specific, man of sins, yeah, yeah, the man's man's of sins. But specifically, yeah. <laughs> like a named celebrity antichrist is not really a thing. I, I, uh, <laughs> okay. So obviously, the answer is you're right because there's no point in arguing with you. It is tedious. <laughs> yeah, and I throw okay. things. I started this like six years ago when we started researching this episode. Spit take number two. Spit take number two, episode 26. (laughs) I was like, okay, I'm a grown-ass man. I got a gray beard. I'm an intellectual something or word. Anyway, okay. So, I was like, all of us know the Antichrist. All of us had, you know, the illustrated book in sixth grade Sunday school. All of us have this. But no one ever actually studies this as an adult, right? We established his name was Bob Antichrist, right? (laughs) <laughs> Robert Robert J. Antichrist. I think that's I think that's canon. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, I'll take it. And so I went back, I was like, okay, what is the Antichrist? Went to the Gospels. There's four of them. Uh three of them are the same. One of them's way out in left field. And depending on which of the seven hundred and forty two English translations, because obviously the Antichrist is American. You know, it doesn't actually say the Antichrist that often. Some people do, some people don't. But the actual, like, 200 AD Antichrist, I was like, this is weird. This is just theological statements of theology as a whole. Yeah, it's like the Antichrist is not capital T. Well, it's not Bob Antichrist. It's like the concept of being opposed to Christ 
And yeah, yeah, may- yeah, yeah. And maybe there's a lot of little antichrists. Maybe the antichrist is in all of us, said unironically. Or maybe there is a Bob antichrist, but he hasn't shown up yet, and mm-hmm. his name is probably not Bob. The antichrist was the friend you met along the way. <laughs> <laughs> it was then that the antichrist carried you. And you were there, and you were there, and you were there. (laughs) Okay, and then I was like, okay, well, words. Words have meanings. You can use them to convey ideas and emotions, right? What is an antichrist? Antichrist is Greek. It means against the Christ. What is a Christ? And I'm like, okay, obviously sixth grade Christ is the Messiah. And I was like, wait, no. Christos, Christ, is the Greek word for Misa, Messiah, the Hebrew word, which means anointed. I'm like, mm. okay, I, I may have remembered that from sixth grade, but, you know. So, so, Christ the Messiah is... The anointed. Wrong. Yeah, anointed the anointed. And the Antichrist could be simply, quote, simply, unquote, someone who is unanointed, which would simply, which would in that case be not a follower of Christ. And then, if we're playing with Greek, anti doesn't just mean opposed, it also means false. And you kind of see this in some of the, the Antichrist, uh, tautolo- uh, not tautology, theology, right? Yeah. Yep. All, all of Thessalonians <clears throat> is very kind of that sort of And so, thing. this isn't necessarily someone who's opposed to Christ, but this is the wrong Christ. <gasps> like right? the life of Brian. Exactly. Yes. Oh my God, Brian is the Antichrist. <laughs> Brian is an Un- Antichrist. Or as we say, written. Uh, later on, later on, some theologians say you could be the Antichrist and not necessarily be opposed to Christ's mission. Yeah, you yeah, could yeah. just be mistaken. You can be the absolute best person in the world, and people love you, and you're doing good things, but it's not towards the kingdom of God. Right. You're leading people down a false path, although you may have really good intentions. Mother Teresa. The Antichrist. Obviously the Antichrist. Everyone loved her. She could do no wrong. But, like... Where, the, where, are we, where are we going on this one? Her estate <laughs> her, might sue us. Her followers all eventually died. Uh, <laughs> how was that for a stretch? Thessalonians. <laughs> on to Thessalonians. So, the, the, the answer is, I thought maybe if we did some thinking and some researching and to looking into defining what the Antichrist or who, what, where, why, when the Antichrist is, we could find greater depth and meaning. And the answer is no. It's all pop culture. Yeah, I mean, it, it kind of is like the, the anti Bob Antichrist is a not so ancient invention. Bob does not appear in the Bible. But the concept of people who lead people like the false prophets. That is that is biblical. That's uh, Thessalonians, one of the main like Antichrist references. In Thessalonians, this is a letter written to the people of Thessalonia. Thessalonica? I'm guessing. And uh, it's to warn them against false teaching. The author talks a lot about the, the lawless man and how lawlessness is active in our world and how the lawless bring in the kingdom of Satan. But... We're talking false prophets, we're talking false messiahs, which was a big thing at the time. But again, not Bob Antichrist, not this kind of uh, apocalyptic view of the bad person. Right. And to the Thessalophobia, big word, Mm. to the Thessalonians and their letter. Thessalopods. (laughs) Thessalopods. They have foot of Thessals. Yes. Prophet 
in this word is not someone that foresees the future, but the meaning of prophet is someone who speaks on behalf of God. And you don't right? want that person to like not have the right phrase book. Right. And so all of all of these prophets, all these biblical prophets with the names and the letters and stuff, not all of them were uh, fortune tellers or foreseers or told the future or, you know, says, this is your destiny, king so-and-so, you shall do a thing, right? And so, in this case, Jesus was a prophet, but not the prophet. One idea of the Antichrist is simply opposed to God, opposed to Christ, in which case, let's not even look at what we're doing in this podcast at this point. <laughs> what are we doing in this podcast? Talking about Thessalonians. Oh, but in the Gospel of John, we're dealing a little bit more with the idea of the Antichrist as the flip side or total opposite of Christ. Like, you could have a Christ-Antichrist reaction and they explode sort of thing. Yes. This is, uh, who is the liar but the one who denies that Jesus is the Christ? That is the Antichrist, the one who denies the Father and the Son, etc. Although even then there's kind of this tension of whether there's a Bob Antichrist or whether there's lots of little Antichrists. Little children, it is the last hour and you've heard that the Antichrist cometh. Even now, there become many antichrists, whereby we know it is in the last hour. By the last hour, he means midnight. Um, and yeah. when you feed the antichrist after midnight... <laughs> Wait, it might turn into the Christ. Oh, no! Yeah, no, a lot of little Christs. What, um, happens, when, what happens when Christ gets wet? <laughs> <laughs> so, okay... Yeah, we've got the life cycle of the Christ-Antichrist. So, to properly like find the place for the Antichrist in your personal reading of the Bible, I think you need to roll back to like 300 BC-ish and look at the birth or the kind of the heyday of apocalyptic literature. Um, apocalyptic literature, this is a, a tradition that kind of sprung up post-Persian control over the Israel area post the fall of the temple, markers of apocalyptic literature are that it's uh, prophetic, that it invites interpretation. That's important. So there's like hidden mysteries. This is the revelation is specifically the idea of these hidden mysteries that must be revealed. Oh, that was a lame sentence. That it contextualizes humans in an epic struggle of good versus evil, Hmm. which does a lot of things. First off, audience participation, yay. It's good to like have a place in this saga. Secondly, it explains why we're all suffering and that this suffering is going to end in the millennium, in 600 years from now, in seven days from now, whenever the kingdom of God comes to earth. So it's look forward. It explains why we're suffering and how that doesn't necessarily mean that God is a bad person, which comes up occasionally when you're discussing God's. And that the answers are there, you just need to know how to look. So, kind of give the author a, a free pass on dumping as much esoteric mysticism into the discussion as possible. Wait, this is 300 BC? And onward. But not 200 AD with the Gnosticism. This is a separate... Because the Gnostics were... The, the Gnostics do pick up apocalyptic literature. Um, and I may be making up the number 300, but I think it... Uh, be is the book of Ezekiel, which is very Old Testament, has a fair amount of stuff that feeds into Revelations later. Hmm. Revelations itself references a great many different uh, apocalyptic texts. Where did it go? I had, a, I had a list. I know you love my lists. It's at the end. It was a Revelations joke. No one got it. <laughs> no, what did you say? You can say it again. 
<laughs> he just got it. Ow. <laughs> he just... Uh, it was great. Wiki, Wiki suggests uh, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Joel, another Zechariah, Zechariah, and Daniel, and then Enoch, which is like 200 BC. So there's a lot of kind of Old Testament and intertestamental stuff that feeds this apocalyptic tradition. Um, we talked a little bit about Enoch and how like wild it was with like the Watchers coming to Earth and yeah, yeah, yeah. big epic dualistic battles and things like that. Um, so there's there's a lot of like traditions and four or five or six Old Testament books pick it up and carry it a little bit. Ezekiel is probably the biggest one. And these all get kind of mashed up together into the book of Revelations, which has more Old Testament references than any other book out there. It, it, yeah. it plays very fast and loose with them, but it pulls them in all over the place. So like it references the lawless man from Ezekiel or what have you and kind of recasts those stories. But when it does this, I think it kind of confuses them because it's it's referencing things very freeform from the earlier books, and then you can kind of get confused as to what anybody was talking about. <laughs> Revelations? Confusing? Not at all. <laughs> wow. So, this kind of... This brought up a question on John, the weird gospel, I mean the awesome gospel, where it was like, was John a Gnostic and is John a, let me rephrase, was John the alleged author a Gnostic and was John the Gospel a Gnostic Gospel? And the answer was unlikely because the concept of Gnosticism as a formal thing probably happened after John wrote the book. So he was working with the proto-Gnostic ideologies, but it hadn't been defined. So it was apop- apocalyptic, but not Gnostic. As I understand things, and I am this is my Sunday school training at work here, uh, the Gospel of John was written as an answer to some budding Gnostic theology. And, and a lot of Gnosticism is kind of tied into Persian dualism, which has been growing since like 300 BCE. So there's threads there. Right. Um, Gnosticism tends to involve a, a, a – well, Gnosticism has so many different flavors, but one element can be this uh, Gnostic – this this idea of um, true truth versus the god of the world. Right. Enlightenment from truth. I really like the comparison of the Gospel of John to the Matrix trilogy, where Keanu Reeves understands the Matrix to be an illusion, and he gains power by transcending that illusion. And then further, he understands that the world beyond the Matrix is also an illusion. And that is true knowing, or gnosis. Wow. Yes and yes, and also yes. I got three? But I want to come back with, but yes, right? So, not just an answer, but also possibly a rebuttal, right? Because it's it's not just, not, not, not just an answer and a rebuttal, but also, like, possibly embracing. I am so lost. Yeah, I know, right? Can I just be right? No. Oh. I mean, yes. You're right, Uncle Jacob. Thank you. <laughs> Where you tie in a pop. Oh, God, I swear I could sway this word. I'm going to have another uh, Antichrist, Victoria, please. Make it a double. You could just say eschatological. I can say oh, eschatological. That's, that's easier. Yeah. I like Paul's realized eschatology. It's good stuff, man. Paul's the stuff. 
I have, since I'm from Austin, I'm immediately wondering if Paul's realized eschatology is a microbrew. Oh my God. <laughs> oh my God. Oh my God. What would it taste like? Hops. The, the end of all things. <laughs> so like, um, oh my gosh, fear. No. Realize and eschatology just- is, is. Uh, desirable, actually. Yeah. Let's, let's not go down the Paul route. Yet. Okay. Never. Okay. So, John, and Gnostics, where Gnosticism is understanding the truth, finding the truth, finding the secret truth, from which there's lots of branches. We're like numerology and the Kabbalah and counting rose petals or whatever. If you can find the secret message, you get enlightened, right? Where Christ, the Messiah, see what I did there, was not, was a savior because he was the bringer of truth. So, if you mm-hmm. understand the Christ, you understand the truth and you find the secret meaning behind it all, which allows you to transcend the apocalypse and fight back against the false truth or the anti-truth. Wow. We're going to have to bring this up again when we talk about Nietzsche. Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> so, that was really, really pedantic. Yes, it was. But that's Okay. Let's do it again. Let's do it again. <laughs> it's on brand. So while the Antichrist does not, while Bob Antichrist does not specifically appear in Revelations, there are the two beasts and Littlehorn. Mm-hmm. We have the dragon that stood on the shore of the sea and has ten horns and seven heads, each with a blasphemous name on it. Not technically the Antichrist, but confused with the Antichrist. And we have this giant horned leopard thing that's the beast of the land, I think, unless I'm getting that totally mistaken, which I am. Um, also not the Antichrist, but mistaken for the Antichrist or associated with it. All these things kind of get free-flung together. And Daniel? Daniel mentions the little horn, I think, which he is like... He fought Custer. Dan- <laughs> that's little big horn. Oh, sorry. <laughs> uh, who was played by Dustin Hoffman. <laughs> Oh man, I was waiting for that joke. What the Custer joke? <laughs> the and the the Dustin Hoffman joke. I, I've I've been my my life like I I it's it's I've done I've come here and seen all I want to see. Didn't Daniel mention there's a serpent? Is that right? I mean, odds are high. Yeah, there could be a there could be a little big horn and a serpent. Uh, Daniel mentions the son of man. Which is frequently something that's associated with the Antichrist, who is going to be, well, as the conceptual opposite of Christ, who is born of mm-hmm. Mary and divine energy. The Antichrist is going to be conceived in sin, as, as are we all, uh, a very human sort of birth, uh, mm-hmm. which I think ties to the beginning of Rosemary's Baby, which kind of the trailer leads in with a sex scene. So, you know, that original sin plays out right there. Are we going to talk about Rosemary's Baby? Oh, yeah. Do you want to do that now or do you want to do it later in a whole movie wrap up? Oh, I'd rather do the movie wrap up because right now we're lost in, in Little Horn. Okay. Okay. So, the son of man. Yeah. Is just John Anderson. Oh, no. Who was Neo in The Matrix. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> or Brian. Or Brian. No, but John mm-hmm. Anderson is literally man, the son of man, right? Oh, you're right. Yeah. Uh, Daniel mentions four <laughs> beasts. And four uh-huh. beasts is a motif that occurs in Revelations later on. One is a lion with eagle's wings. The second is like a bear. Uh, the third is like a leopard. We get leopards again in Revelation. And the fourth is indescribable, but has ten horns. 
and okay. crushes things under its feet. And the little horn is the smallest of the ten horns, but it has the eyes of a man and the mouth speaking great things. Hmm, um, so okay. the little horn is, I mean, you take this image of like the ten horns and you lay it on anything that occurs in a set of nine or ten, and then you have the little horn. And so obviously these are like the hills of Rome or what have you, or your set of favorite emperors. And then you just decide who the little horn is and who that is. Is the little horn the mean one? Well, it's the one that speaks... It's the one that has eyes of a man and a mouth that speaks great things. Hmm. Uh, so as the Antichrist is a false prophet, it's kind of associated with this. So little hmm. horn, little horn, another name for the Antichrist, if you like extend things out into where everything could be the Antichrist. Yeah, and see, depending on which flavor of Antichrist you really like best, all these beasts and all these scary things sound like they're opposed to Christ. Whereas those of us that think the Antichrist is just this really awesome, neat person who everyone loves and can do no wrong and accidentally, you know, destroys the world. Like, that's the false Christ, right? We've got scary things and... Re- Revelations does lean heavily on the false prophet. Mm. And I believe the false prophet will come in and for a reign of three and a half years, preach against God and raise armies and such and such. And he is kind of the marker of like the end times war, kind of concurrent with locusts and plagues and things like that. Mm-hmm. One of the final tribulations that will hit the the chosen people that are trying to survive the end times is this false prophet guy will come and he'll make friends with the kings and queens of the world and do signs and miracles and such. And everybody believes that he's God, but he's, of course, not God because God comes in three and a half years as foretold in ancient prophecy. And if you believe him, then you're probably a bad person. And if you don't believe him, he will kill you or persecute you. Which also, every time you're being persecuted means that you're living in the end times. And that's that's useful in morale building. And this kind of takes us into the medieval representations of the Antichrist. I think that's fair, yeah. Because mm-hmm. you get a solid 400 years of Christian persecution under the Romans. Mm-hmm. Oh, mm. the Romans. is again, good, good for team morale later on. <laughs> the Antichrist proper is still kind of this hazy, nebulous collection of Old Testament and New Testament ideas that don't really have a person to bond onto, like a crystal matrix, until we get to 975-ish or so, where we meet a Benedictine monk and hagiographer. I love that word. Oh, I do too. One who writes about the lives of saints. Oh, I thought he wrote on saints. No, that would be a... Tattoo artist? (laughs) Yes, that's true. Uh, He wrote the biography of the Antichrist. Oh. And uh, yeah, this was a, a new thing, but it was written in the form of a saint legend or a saint story, which is a very popular form in the 900s. The way he built this was he looked at all these kind of similar myths and things like that and concatenated them into a fairly lucid and coherent story of what the Antichrist would be. Like he associated directly the Antichrist with the man of lawlessness, with the false prophet, uh, with this three and a half year reign. And in doing so, he just simplified all of this weird, hazy mythology that had been built up over like 10 books of the Bible and made a simple like two-page document that described exactly what the Antichrist is, how he will live, how he will be born, which added a useful sex scene, and how he will be defeated and how he will die. This is Adzo of Montier and Dor. He was writing to the queen of... Gerberga? Gerberga? Okay. It's G-E-R-B-E-R-G-A, letter to Queen 
Gerbergia on the place and time of Antichrist, also known as the little book on the Antichrist, which would make one, like, all I could think about was the little golden books. The little golden books? <laughs> yes. With the golden spine? Yeah. <laughs> well, we, we have a really lovely, like, gilded image of the Antichrist from this, and I have to say his shoes are fabulous. Oh, yeah, I love that. I also love the other images of the Antichrist as kind of like a little tiny little puppet man on Satan's lap. Well, yeah, that makes sense. He's kind of the child of Satan and or the puppet of Satan, or both simultaneously. Mm-hmm. Um, in, in this lovely illustration, he has these amazing, like, two-foot-long toe-shoe things that are kind of turning upwards in the style of old shoes that do that. It's really delightful. <laughs> Not many things can be said about shoes, but they were affected by gravity. That would that would help you define these. The shoes? That's how that's your definition of shoes. No, of those shoes. Like those shoes. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah, gravity had an impact on those shoes. <laughs> like wow, that's a interesting take. Um, can I go into the sex scene just for a bit? Of course. Only if it's useful. Uh, I think it informs Rosemary's baby. Okay. Okay. This 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 may go on, but also I think it leans. It, this gives a sensational element that kind of lets the Antichrist percolate for the next few hundred years or so. Um, he'll be born as the result of the sexual intercourse of his mother and the father, like other men, and not as some say from a virgin alone. But he will be conceived entirely in sin. He'll be engendered in sin. Will be born in sin. At the beginning of his conception, the devil will enter into him into his mother's womb, and by the devil's strength will be fostered and protected in his mother's womb, and the devil's strength will be with him always. And just as the Holy Ghost came into the womb of the mother of the Lord Jesus Christ and covered her in his strength and filled her with divinity so that she conceived from the Holy Ghost, so also the devil will go down to the womb of the Antichrist mother and fill her completely, possess her completely inside and out, and she'll be conceived by man with the devil's assistance, and what is born will be completely foul, completely evil, completely ruined. Mm. That is why that man is called the son of destruction, because as far as he can, he will destroy the human race, and he will himself be destroyed at the last judgment. Rude. So here's a question. This is completely random and probably should be held until we talk about the movies, but I feel like the man of sin is the trope of nearly every Western as well. So one could also posit that Westerns are presenting the tale of the Antichrist in many cases. I want to agree, but I would mm-hmm. also suggest that probably the Westerns have a redemption arc. Oh. oh. Is that is that fair? The original ones do. There's mm-hmm. rarely a redemption arc with the Antichrist that kind of defeats the purpose. Can we It's true. Can we go back and put in like that that eerie desert whistle? Yeah, 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 yeah. I need that. I need that. Well, there's a lot of postmodern westerns that kind of play with that lack of redemption. Ah, uh, was John Wayne the Antichrist? Mm, I think many people would say he was. But this goes this goes on my side where good old friendly John Wayne, like he's obviously the hero in every story, and he's leading us down the wrong path and we're going willingly. No one's scared, no one's afraid. Yeah. John I, Wayne, Antichrist. I feel like it'd be hard you'd be hard pressed to make an argument that John Wayne is the Messiah, so probably. Mm-hmm. Oh Adzo is very keen on pointing out that the Antichrist is the conceptual opposite of Jesus. He is everything that Jesus is not. He will come as a proud man because Christ was poor. 
He will cast down the lowly and glorify sinners. He will bring the worship of demons into the world and name himself God. Although, he's probably Jewish, because if you're medieval, never miss a chance to drop that in there somewhere. I I, I don't know. Like, Adzo's got it wrong, right? If If a lady just accidentally gives birth to the ugliest baby in the world, especially in the Middle Ages... What are that kid's chances of survival? None, right? Like, that baby's getting dropped down a well, that baby's getting buried with the corn, fed, I don't know what you do to ugly babies, but, like, abominations were disposed of. If you want your kid to survive, make him pretty. Well, the Antichrist is pretty. But it said, like, yeah. this. you said the, the child was born the... Foulest something something foul something well morally umbilical. morally foul morally foul <laughs> so oh. quite pretty I mean we we had the illustration that is a fairly cute antichrist oh got nice lines good dirty profile. on the inside yes there, there are more specifics in Hugh Ripplin Riplin's description of the antichrist I don't have that one ah. Well, that, that wasn't in my trading cards. <laughs> well, let me let me tell you. So, Elucidate. So um, he was in the 13th century, and several uh, chapters from his book, um, the extremely popular handbook, Compendium Theologica Verata, Ver, Veritatis. Ah, I want that book. I don't have that book in English. Okay, so we'll put that on your on your wish list. I have to double um, emphasize in English. <laughs> yeah, in English, it's the Compendium of Theological Truth. And so his account uh, differed about the Antichrist, differed slightly from Adzo's, but the sort of canonical view of the Antichrist kind of put together from these two sources, the Antichrist is the parodic opposite of Christ. We've already discussed that. Uh, born of a whore and demon or demonic vessel. Jewish born, but tribe of Dan versus Judah. So, and also Babylonian Versus Bethlehem. Right. So Be- born in Babylon versus Bethlehem. And it implies the Church of Rome there subtly. Yep. 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 And born of obscurity, but starts preaching at age 30. This is where it's getting more specific. No miracles, tricks instead. Popular in Jerusalem, who, unlike Jesus, who was wildly mm. unpopular. Mm. His reign will last for three years. Um, it's not clear if this is an, in addition to the ministry or includes the ministry. But during his reign, he will rebuild the temple and sit on the throne of Solomon in a sacrilegious and hideous inversion of, of just priesthood and just kingship. Christians will be persecuted. Enoch and Elijah will return to preach against tyranny and will also be slain. Oh. Antichrist no. will ban- be vanquished by Jesus. Yes. And Yay! Then the so... Poor Elijah. I know, poor Elijah. But yeah, so this kind of like gives us the the story also. Yeah, the, it's a little more epic than um, than I think mm-hmm. Adza had. Adza the arc. Had. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Again, I kind of started with this is not biblical stuff, but one of the places where this entered the mainstream of medieval Christianity is that there were a lot of preachers that weren't really like theologically trained. We didn't have this network of seminaries. They were just doing their jobs. Couldn't afford Bibles, so they had like Bible cliff notes, basically. Uh, they were called glosses. And along with like best of Bible, all the stuff you want to preach on on Sunday, there was like marginalia that helped extend ideas. And a lot of the marginalia on the Antichrist concerned his birth, how he was sired by Satan, 
and all sorts of kind of lurid things you'd want to say about him to make the crowd really engaged in your story. So these glosses became what I think a lot of people today would believe is scripture. Mm-hmm. So not chick tracts. But also liturgical dramas. Oh, yeah. He was, a ma- liturgical dramas. he was a character. Mm-hmm. So yep. we're in the like, 14th, 14th century at that point. Thereabouts. Yeah, I think the one there's one that was uh, pretty much just lifted straight from Adso. That was Ludus de Antichristo. I I bet he was a good character for mm-hmm. for dramas. Do do you have Do you want to talk about Joachim of Fiore? Uh, I really kind of stopped research at about 1200. So when yeah, wa- sure. When was Joachim? So uh, Joachim of Fiore, who was kind of um, between Adso and Ripplin or Ripplin. He uh, wrote Exposition of the Apocalypse, which is the culmination of the Ark of the Antichrist. Yeah. And he differed slightly again from Adso and Reipelin because instead of a capital A Antichrist, he posited that it's there's going to be a succession of Antichrists before we get to that big guy. Oh, so they lead up to it. They lead up. Yeah. Okay. So like figures like Nero Mohammed. And Saladin are considered to be these progressive antichrists. Okay. So along the way, along, you know, the um, timeline, you're going to have all these figures. And again, the capital A antichrist will not necessarily be a person, but an embodiment of evil. So there's going to be like the penultimate antichrist, then a millennium of peace, and then Gog and Magog <laughs> will appear at Satan's side or the Antichrist side, heralding the arrival of the big, the big guy. Gog um, and Magog. Yeah, so they're going to be alongside Satan at the final showdown. It was such a fun game to figure out who these people would be and your special version of Revelations. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um... This also kind of spurred the guessing game of who who is who are these who who are the personages that fill in the succession of antichrist. So along the historic timeline, we've constantly revisited this with Romans, uh, different popes, Peter the Great. But then in the 16th century, again, uh, the antichrist became less associated with somebody specific in a collection of embodied evil. And so here's where Martin Luther. Did you say 1600? Yes. Yeah, so now I'm handing it over to Jamin to talk about uh, a multitude of theses. Wait, before we do, I want to just show everybody that this really cute picture I found. It's the medieval Antichrist game chart, and it's like <laughs> a tiny little square with like <laughs> 10 people's names that could be the Antichrist, and then this great big wheel of 666. Sudoku word score things. You can see like the word Antichrist is written down there and other names. And I guess you count out from 66 from the middle and then you find out who the Antichrist is. Oh my gosh. So it's kind of like one of those fortune tellers that you used to make in middle school with the little <gasps> yes! oldie things. With yes. 666 squares. <laughs> I'm going to make an origami fortune teller and inside the answer is going to be 666, 666 and Victoria. <laughs> I love it. Remind I feel me. Seen. I feel seen. Remind me, and I will do this. I kid you not. And I'm sorry to have derailed you as you vaulted onto the 1600s. Well, we were in the 1300s. It wasn't that far away. No, we were getting there. Mm-hmm. So, as I'm doing my research, I keep finding these things, and I and I remember it was like I I called you guys and was like, okay, so Martin Luther said it was the Pope. 
John Calvin said it was the Pope. Wycliffe said it was the Pope. Um, who else is in here? You guys know who Wycliffe is? Wesley. John Wesley. Oh. Mm-hmm. Was like, it's obviously the Pope. Right? Mm-hmm. So, you've got all these 1600 people and they're like, oh, all these guys are the Pope. And who is the Methodist? He was, Wesley was the Methodist. Wycliffe was the missionary. And there's like 847 other. There's 95 more. <laughs> this this smacks of Godwin's law almost. Yeah. Like, when, yeah. like Godwin's law is ultimately everything comes down to Hitler on the internet. Yeah. So we didn't have Hitler. So if you're going to get a bunch of erudite people together, in the end, it's the Antichrist. Yeah. Right. Well, that, okay. So I was like, I can't believe all of these people were saying this. And Jacob was like, Jamin, all of these all of these authors, these seminarians, Wycliffe, Calvin, Clyde, Bonnie, um, L- Martin Luther, right? Yes! Episode 26, spit that, take that, three. That didn't count. <laughs> At, oh, it's on. It counted. He, there was spit. Okay. All of these theologians are protesting against the Catholic Church. And I was like... Well, the lady doth protest too much, methinks. And you're like, no, Jamin, think about it. They're protesting. They're Protestants. I'm like, what? <laughs> That's what that word means? The Protestants didn't <laughs> it's like in the, the name. It's, it's on the box, Jamin. It's on the box. In the name. It's like, what day is it? Like October 87th, 2027. Happy Halloween, everyone. <laughs> Jamin realizes Protestants didn't like the Pope? Because I'm a big Wycliffe fan. I'm a big Calvin guy. Luther and I, not so much, but anyway, it's in the name, guys. The Pope is the Antichrist. (laughs) (laughs) Can I tell you uh, Cardinal Newman's response to that? Please. Yes. Okay, so Cardinal... (laughs) Essentially, it was. Essentially, it was. So, Cardinal Newman responding to these arguments that uh, the papacy and essentially Catholicism is uh, is rife with... little antichrists everywhere. His argument uh, has essentially, it has multiple points, but two essential ones are that if the church, meaning the Catholic church, must suffer like Christ, and if Christ was called Beelzebub, the true church must expect a similar reproach. Thus, the papal antichrist theory becomes an argument in favor of the Roman church. Oh, oh, dang. Papal bull burn. (laughs) <laughs> exactly. And then the second, the jibe, quote, if the Pope is not, if, if the Pope is not Antichrist, he has bad luck to be so like him, unquote, is really another argument in favor of the claims of the Pope, since Antichrist simulates Christ, and the Pope is an image of Christ. <laughs> Antichrist must have some similarity to, similarity to the Pope if the latter is to be the true vicar of Christ. Oh, Burn. That's good. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Guys, just, I, I guess I'm not Protestant anymore. I got he disproven. He throws down the sensor. Boom. <laughs> the sensor. <laughs> mm-hmm. Waves a thurble around. Gets sense. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> since since the Antichrist is the exact opposite of Christ in every single way, Adzo adds on that he circumcised himself. What? What? Yeah. Well, because up rabbis circumcised Jesus, so the Antichrist circumcised himself. I don't like Adzo. So then we leap forward to 
John D. No. Um, Little Nas X. Little Nas X. Yes. <laughs> he could be the Antichrist. He's he's the he's the kind of false prophet who's not against Christ, but a imitation which leads us astray. Mm. Have we missed anybody by vaulting into the 2021s? Oh, let's get to Nietzsche. Well, yeah, he wrote a book called The Antichrist. Oh, yes. What was it about? The Antichrist. <laughs> You'd think. Probably not. Politics. He didn't like church very much. He did not like church very much. So mm. the Antichrist, which is Der Antichrist in Auf Deutsch, uh, can be translated to either be the Antichrist or the Antichristian, depending on how you interpret or translate the German word Christ. Oh. So, if I recall correctly, it was written before his autobiography, Echo Homo, but was published at the same time. I think because it was written, um, The Antichrist was written in 1888, but then because of its controversial content, it was not published till 1895, and there are a lot of edits uh, to the book before it was published. But this picks up in the idea, uh, or it's connected to the idea in his autobiography, essentially the last words of the autobiography that say, that are Dionysus against the crucified. And so this... Uh, connects to Dionysus, has two opponents, one worthy, the other unworthy. So Jesus is the worthy opponent. So Dionysus, in this sense, is the Antichrist. And um, the unworthy opponent is Christianity. So just kind of keep that in your head. <laughs> and you in this corner... Uh-huh. Well, so, so to clarify, yes, the worthy opponent is Christ. The mm-hmm. unworthy opponent is Christianity. And it yep. is very important in a Nietzschean argument to separate those. Yes, it is, because the only true Christian is Jesus. I I kind of, ag- well, man, I kind of agree, but that's very broad. Well, Nietzsche had a lot to say about how kind of the church is used to subjugate people. Yep. To free yourself is to free yourself from those bonds. He's actually one of the reasons I don't think of myself as a Christian anymore. <laughs> but yeah. his his church and your church were very different churches. One, one of the things that made me like really kind of break up with religion was when Nietzsche was talking about how the Ten Commandments were set up to preserve uh, the people that hold property against the people that would kind of mm-hmm. reach free equality, I guess. Yeah, and in here, in this book, he talks about essentially the creation of sin or the invention of sin as the way for the priesthood and theologians and people in power to have control over the people and also to build their own power. So there isn't really such a thing as sin. Let me go back a step. Mm -hmm. To help the listeners at home, because I obviously, I know the answer, remind uh, everyone else who Dionysius was. He is the god of wine and... Pleasure and joy and life, the life force, right? I think that's that's a totally valid interpretation of him. He's mm-hmm. kind of a, a pan sort of character as well. And the reason why he's important here is because he is the life force, and Nietzsche is arguing that Christianity is actually against life. So it's sort of an anti-life philosophy. Anti-life, anti-joy, and Christ yes. is pro-joy, pro-life. Exactly. So, Christianity does not represent the purpose of Christ, because Christ, Jesus didn't die on the cross because of guilt. 
Um, he wanted his death on the cross to be an example of how a person can be free from resentment, revenge, and guilt. Okay. Rather than having to die because of guilt or because of the sins of, of hmm. so the anybody. Only, the only person he redeemed would be probably himself in this, in this moment. Yes. Deep. And this is also really interesting because this is one of the controversies about the book is that Nietzsche was completely against the idea of Christ as being a redeemer. He what? felt it's, yeah. So he felt like Christ was not a redeemer to claim that Christ was a redeemer, or in some cases, he's represented as a genius or um, a hero instead. And this was something that was uh, removed from the uh, original German manuscript before it was published, but he referred to Jesus as an idiot. And the controversy is like, what did he mean by idiot? Yeah, it feels the, a little lost in translation somehow. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah, see, see, he was actually referring to a lot of the scholars believe firmly that he was referring to Dostoevsky's character in The Idiot, who was a very simple, good, guileless person mm-hmm. and who was mistaken for not being intelligent and not having insight by the more worldly people around him. And Jesus... Nietzsche believed was such a figure. Wow. So to, mm-hmm. I, I think most people would associate Nietzsche with tact and restraint when it comes to his writing. So yeah. that makes mm-hmm. sense. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. Well, you say you say the idiot. It could be the innocent, the guileless. Yeah. So it's yeah. kind of like the fool, right? Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you're just kind of an innocent. In the every world. time. Every time I try and have a conversation where I pretend to be smart, it's like, oh, yeah, I'm well-read. I'm this. Someone else is like, oh, Dostoevsky. And I'm like, nope, I'm out. Pass. <laughs> they played the D card. They played the D mm-hmm, card. That's oh. it. They threw down the D. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, uh, essentially, that's it. Like, the, the creation of the Christian church had absolutely nothing to do with Christ. And, in fact, is antithetical to Christ. I'll give and this you that. is actually, like, one of the most eloquent and passionate uh, yeah, parts of the entire book is Nietzsche talking about how Christ is so different from Christianity. Yeah, no, I I have not heard of this book. I've I've like seen Ekehomo and like you know words, but I I didn't realize this book existed. Mm-hmm. Which I'm I may have to read the short version. I think we'll be reading it together in January. <gasps> Let's do that. Yeah. Let, us, let us not and say we did. Just uh, to reiterate, like Nietzsche's idea of Jesus, uh, he described Jesus's inner life as consisting of, quote, wit, the blessedness of peace, of gentleness, the inability to be an enemy. So, thus, according to Nietzsche, Jesus did not want to redeem anybody. He wanted to show how to live. Yeah. He loved evildoers. Yeah. And so, Nietzsche also has Jesus tell the thief on the cross that he is already in paradise if he recognizes the divinity of Jesus. So, and, and the divinity of Jesus in Jesus's uh, comportment, how he's living life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Love your neighbor as yourself. Mm-hmm. And, like, the, the two greatest commandments are none of the other commandments, which are negative. They are love. Be kind to one another, my dudes. Mm-hmm. Be kind to one another, my dudes. Be excellent to one another. Be excellent to one another, yeah. Uh Uh-huh, that's right. Be excellent. So, Nietzsche actually, I think Bill and Ted's, what is it called? Excellent Excellent Adventure. Adventure. Yeah. (laughs) Is actually... Very Nietzsche. It is very, because, again, you have 
idiots. Who are guileless. They are, and, but they are literal idiots. No! Are they? I believe they're, 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 they're in the mode of Dostoyevsky. They are pure. We have mm-hmm. had two Keanu Reeves moments in this episode, so that's something. We have. So oh, that's, Keanu this is true, yeah. is the Nietzschean antichrist, and by being that, he is Jesus. A, a, a Jesus. Fixed it. Fixed it, <laughs> Okay, well then, we should go home now. Can I say one interesting thing, one more interesting thing about Nietzsche? So he also, in this book, uh, posited that we should change the entire accounting of time. Boy, he, he does says, not aim small. No, he does not. So he says, and one calculates time from the unlucky day on which the fatality, meaning Jesus's crucifixion, arose from the first day of Christianity. Why not rather from its last, from today, reevaluation of all values? (laughs) And so if we followed that calendar, the first day would be September 30th, 1888. Does that add to 666? I'm not going to do the math, but September 30th, 1888. I'm sure there's some formula where it we could make it. spells out monster energy. Multiply, <laughs> multiply it by 32.6636354. for you. <laughs> Henry Kissinger. What? I barely met her. <laughs> let's, let's, let's address the elephant in the room, which is that it's like a week before Halloween now. The zombie elephant? Yes, yes, yes. And part of the reason to do this was to celebrate the Antichrist tradition in modern cinema. I mean, I'm going to I'm going to say there's another Catholic response to this. So, okay. There's an argument that there's a difference between the Antichrist or the law, and the lawless one, and this is argued by Monsignor Charles Pope in Ca- in the Catholic Standard. Wait, his name um, is Pope. His name is Pope. He's a Monsignor Pope. Mm -hmm. Ambitious. (laughs) That's like Governor Will Win in Austin. (laughs) Right, yeah. So he is arguing for the difference in the Antichrist and the lawless one. Um, Number one, that St. John speaks of Antichrist in the plural, whereas St. Paul speaks in the singular, the man of lawlessness or the lawless one. And two, the lawless one's deceptions are rather general, every kind of wicked deception whereas the deceptions of Antichrist are more specifically related to or denying the incarnation of the Son of God. And so the reason why I'm bringing this up is because he also argues that there's really no representation of the Antichrist in movies. It's all the lawless one if you follow the descriptions that he's arguing through. So, yeah. So he took time to make that argument. When was Monsignor Pope? Oh, he's like in the last couple of years. Oh, okay. This was a recent, yeah. Mm-hmm. He was back in the time of the talkies. <laughs> Mr. Pope, Monsignor Pope, if you're listening, uh, please retweet us. <laughs> Maybe the Catholic standard will. Ooh. So, top Antichrist movie has to be The Omen. Yeah, I would say so. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Not the first, necessarily, but the big one. If we're already saying, like, The Life of Brian... Yes, like, take, like, of course, but then under that then would be. Yeah, okay, yeah, fair, be- before fair. Before the omen was made, the life of Brian was the ultimate. Yeah, that was the standard by which all other Antichrist films were judged. So, I, when I was thinking about all the movies that I am aware of that have the Antichrist theme, I realized that they fall into three buckets. So you've got the, pregnant, the pregnancy-focused ones. 
Mm, original sin. Mm-hmm. You've got the soulless child-focused ones. Haley Mills. Then, yes, exactly. And then you have the apocalypse-focused ones. Okay, okay. That's that's fairly summary, because you've got, like, sort of beginning, middle, and end there. Yeah. Oh, I didn't even realize yeah. that. Yeah. Soup to nuts. <laughs> so, where should we begin with the, I guess, the the mother trope? Yes. Mm-hmm. This this has to be Rosemary's baby. Uh, amongst others. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. One of the, like, most celebrated Rotten Tomatoes horror films out there. Mm-hmm. Very popular. I was watching a video on Rosemary's Baby that said that rather than being, like, strictly a horror film, it was very heavily into social critique of, like, the woman's place in society. And a lot of the horror kind of drew from that, from this, like gaslighting and continual silencing and stepping down on her concerns and like forcing her to be something other than what she was. And that one, it was directed by Roman Polanski, right? Yeah. There's a lot of mumbling about that as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's a whole other, he could be considered the antichrist. <laughs> <laughs> if Larry Flint is, which he shows up on some list of antichrists. I watched the trailer today just to kind of refresh myself. And it, it opens up with like, Let's make love. It's like line one of the trailer. And <laughs> given that sex is so firmly associated with original sin and with the birth of the Antichrist itself, it's kind of important that this is a pregnancy film and a, a conception film and a birth film. All those things. It's very biological in its, in its beginnings. <laughs> in context for the film, 1968, the Satan scare is fairly recent. Elements of the occult are being woven into popular culture. Did you know that there's an image of Aleister Crowley on the front cover of Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band? What? Yes. Yeah, uh-huh. he's in there. Like the, 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 what is the famous, like... Yeah, the weird little, like, uh-huh. not devil horns, but Princess Leia bun gesture. Yeah. <laughs> what is he Princess doing Princess Leia, then? also the Antichrist. Quite possibly. Because she's got this the perma-crowley. <laughs> perma-crowley. <laughs> The summer of love is coming up. Sexual liberation is in the air. Morality is breaking down. The church is breaking down. So this kind of weaves a lot of these themes of like liberation and the the decay of the moral decay of society into into a dark horror film, um, maybe a dark comedy film as well. It feels very Gilliam slash Strange Lovey. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I've got a couple of other pregnant with the Antichrist movies to mention that have varying degrees of uh, relevance. Uh So this is not technically about the Antichrist being born, but it's about a mutant baby. And I think, (laughs) no, it's not, but I didn't even think about Chud. But this definitely was benefited from Rosemary's Baby, this uh, called It's Alive. And um, I have to say, uh, many of the, well, several of these, I'm going to say the reason why I remember them is not because I saw them, but because I remember their trailers being terrifying. The trailers that they showed on TV for these movies were terrifying. And so It's Alive was in 1974. And again, it's a baby that is born, born a monster that goes on a killing spree. But the best part of it is the trailer and the posters say uh the davises are having a baby and then you see this like little clawed hand oh that one yeah <laughs> that's it yeah i yeah. remember it. classic 
And so that was a kind of a family joke because, you know, my last name is, in fact, Davis. And one of the posters said, there's only one thing wrong with the Davis baby. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't know if that baby actually, I can't recall. I don't think it was an Antichrist thing. I think it was about, I think it was, again, social commentary about drugs that you give pregnant women. Oh, and another one that I found terrifying that is about the son of Satan is called Beyond the Door, which was another 74, mm. 1974 movie that, again, had a terrifying trailer that uh, scarred me um, in my childhood. But that one is about um, a woman whose former boyfriend is a Satanist, and he made a pact with the devil uh, or with a demon who saved his life after a car accident to arrange for his ex-girlfriend to have the Antichrist baby. So again, woman possessed, actually, she goes on the killing spree this time, as she's possessed by this demon baby. But then a recent one that I accidentally watched. <laughs> and oh, I don't no. rec- I've mentioned it before in this podcast. Mother! Exclamation point. Have we, do you recall that it has Javier Bardem and some other, some lovely young actress, but it's, oh my God, it is, I don't even know how to describe it, but uh, he's either, he's either God or he's Satan. She's either Eve or she's giving birth to the Antichrist. There are all these random people that show up. At some point they end up accidentally, they're throwing the baby around Oh, that one. That that trope, yes, classic. I do not recommend mother exclamation point. I feel like I'm going to have to see it now. You can, oh mm, yeah, but um, don't say I didn't warn you. Okay, fair. Oh, I'm good at taking a warning. I'll um, hard pass. (laughs) Click. It is just. It's incomprehensible and not in a good way. Is this entire trope like not biblically grounded, but fear of like. Just lady parts, lady parts, pregnancy, menstrual those, blood. That sense of those those changes, lack oh, of yeah. control. Oh yeah, you kind of get a, it from both gender sides, even. Yeah, I think there's that. That's that. That definitely scans. <laughs> that scans. Ew, uh-huh. girls are gross. And and the <laughs> one of the the end of Rosemary's Baby is that she's going to raise this creature. Which I think kind of takes us into like the the soulless child trope, and all it's, it's also very changeling mythology too of like this this concept mm-hmm. of, or the or the Sandman's cuckoo story this this horrible thing that you have to raise. The end of Rosemary's Baby is she objects, she objects, she objects, and then she sees it, and something changes in her heart, and her maternal instincts take over. Well, that's a because, very surface reading because women have their place in society and that is to do to women, raise the satan's baby. women's stuff yeah exactly well, <laughs> i mean the entire film is like brainwashing her basically like the, the yeah, entire film is gaslit yeah it's brainwashing society and or saying society you are being brainwashed well society is the actor here in this is this is order-based horror in some ways like Mm-hmm. It, again, it feels very Gilliam-esque because, like, you get these close-ups of these people of society, and their faces are just caricatures almost. Ugh. And I would say, like, that's the one thing. Like, I feel like if Mother has any grounding in a tradition, a comprehensible tradition, it has a lot of those aspects of Rosemary's Baby with the gaslighting, with the kind of grotesqueries of the human condition. Yeah. 
so I guess that logically takes us to The Omen, which is this kind of perfect soulless child movie. Mm-hmm. The Omen was uh, released on 6676, so... Yeah. <laughs> so we're moving from kind of summer of love, late 60s, to Vietnam paranoia. And the, this movie is... The Omen is claustrophobic and, I don't know, it's just so doom-laden. The film was created by Bob Munger, who is a Christian marketing executive who's kind of take, trying to add a little bit of sizzle to... Uh, the Book of Revelations. He acted as the religious advisor of the film and warned the cast and crew that the devil would really try and undermine the entire production of the film. So this is maybe the beginning of the idea that the omen was cursed. But quick synopsis, woman gives birth to the Antichrist and this kid selectively murders pretty much the entire adult cast of the film. Is that fair? Yes. And mm-hmm. there's some great moments where, like, the animals are scared of him and run away. Oh, God, that classic image of, like, him bumming off his, his mother with the, where she falls off the, uh, over the... Uh, tricycle. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, like, this kid is just maniacally riding his tricycle across the house, and his mother's hanging a plant, and then she falls off over this grand stairwell rail mm-hmm. and to her death. Be- beautiful death scenes in this movie all around. The one that, the one that I find the most disturbing is the nanny. It's like, I'm, I did it for you, Damien. And then hangs herself. Yeah. yeah. A, lot of, a lot of death in this one. At least there was a happy ending because the Damien went on to play a guitar for ACDC. So. Oh, nice. Wait, what? <laughs> no, wait. Doesn't the little kid look like Angus Young? <laughs> like in the little schoolboy uniform? And- <laughs> <laughs> I see. I see what I see what tr- just transpired. Okay. Okay. There, there is the idea that the Omen was a cursed film because there was two bombings that the cast narrowly escaped, two plane wrecks that the cast narrowly escaped. One of the tigers that appeared that did not appear in the film because that scene was cut the next day murdered his handler. The Rottweilers were just very hard to work with in general, but they're Rottweilers. I think Gregory Peck's son committed suicide three months in. Oh, wow. There's just a lot of either objectively horrible or kind of near-miss stuff involved in this, uh, to mm-hmm. the point where mm-hmm. in that scene where the mom falls off the stair railing, they actually had to re-script it because she did not want to be filmed next to that stair railing <laughs> for fear I mean, that she might actually fall to her death. So yeah, the symbolic yeah. like goldfish bowl dropping is a substitute for her being anywhere near this place. Wait, the jackal is the mother? The, the, the actual mother's a jackal. Really? Oh, my God. Isn't that, isn't that the case? Yeah, That's, like he's born of a dog, right? Uh, <laughs> Did I make that up? <laughs> no, that's, that's what it says. So, yeah, he he's adopted when the child that uh, they, the um, the diplomat and his wife are in Rome. Their, their child dies, but... Whoa, spoilers, uh, spoilers! But the somebody in the hospital tells <laughs> the dad <laughs> not, not to tell the wife, and so he adopts... Damien, who is uh, whose mother is actually a jackal. So very, very changeling again. Mm-hmm. I did not realize how heavily Good Omens listed from The Omen. So now I know. It's in the title, isn't it? It's in the yes. title. It is in the title. The other, I mean, the other movie... Well, first, before we leave The Omen, I have to tell you one of my uh, bucket list items is to remake the omen but starring a cat as damien how do you get it to ride the tricycle hot glue 
<laughs> I cats. I mean, any like cats will just try to kill you. Yeah, full stop. The prompting. end. I mean, all the cat has to just like just like dressing up a little cat is Angus Young. Just setting it loose in a house full of people doing precarious things. Just have another cat making noises that sounds like Damien, Damien. And then you've got, you have a, a cinematic masterpiece. I was going to start this. I was like, you started this and I was like, I, I don't want to do any part of this project. And then you explained the project and now I'm like, okay, I'll sign up. I, I want in on this project. So. Was it the tiny Angus Young cat that... Uh, a little bit, yes, maybe. So I don't want to leave the omen without mentioning that uh, when they were casting the part of Damien, actor Harvey Spencer Stevens auditioned for the part, and they filmed, well, they had him try out with the scene where he's struggling to get out of the car when they're driving towards the church and the wedding, and he has like a, a holy, I'm going to go to holy place freak out. Uh. During that audition, he kicked the producer in the crotch really hard. <laughs> and that's how he got the part. <laughs> Maybe apocryphal. Acting. <laughs> and fun fact, that child was also born of a jackal. Mm-hmm. True story. Victoria said it. Sorry, I don't want us to get sued. Um, <laughs> I'm going to But have you, have you guys ever seen Little Nicky? The singer? The, the like post, <laughs> po- post The Omen comedy? Yeah, with Adam Sandler. Oh, with Adam S- Oh. <laughs> I never have. It's really, really dumb. It's terrible. It is, but, I mean, I mean, you know. It's Adam Sandler. It's Adam Sandler, yeah. So, <clears throat> the two rules for Adam Sandler, don't watch it alone, mm-hmm. don't watch it sober. <laughs> Little Nicky is the best movie ever, man. <laughs> So, trope three is the end of times. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. Um, and so, the classic, well, there are a couple of classics here on, from my end, I would say. The Seventh Seal is definitely yes. one. That's the, the famous Swedish film directed by the famous Swedish... Sigmund Bourbon. Yes. Uh-huh. And has the famous... The role of the anti, well, the anti, the Grim Reaper is the Antichrist. It has that famous scene of the chess game. I remember that. I guess Antichrist mm-hmm. is a flexible idea. Yep. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of like, to me, the peak, peak apocalypse, but also the whole Left Behind series. Uh, that's so easy. Which, I know, that one's a gimme. But again, a figure that keeps showing up on Antichrist lists as if he's a real person is the character of the European politician named Nikolai Carpathia. So he's kind of entered pop culture as this Antichrist figure where the the line between reality and fiction is blurred. Oh, interesting. So there's like an extended Mm. Nikolai Carpathia universe here. Yeah, yeah. Well, who knew? Okay, none of these names are familiar to me. I'm going to have to check the show notes later and like look at this because the seal? What? The Seventh Seal. The Seventh mm-hmm. Seal? Yep. Mm-hmm. Was it any good? Oh, yeah. God. It's like, if you're, in film, if you're in film school, you have to watch it. It's that uh, kind of movie. Okay. But it's really, really good. Yeah. And it has um, Rucker Hauer. So Rucker oh. Hauer is playing chess with the Antichrist slash Grim Reaper. What? <laughs> I swear I'm not making this up. Okay. I, I will watch YouTube clips shortly after yeah. I read the show notes. The Seventh Seal, nineteen fifty-seven. So maybe I'm wrong about Rucker wow. Hauer. Why did I get? Why did I think Rucker Hauer? Anywho, the it's roughly like 
it's the plague, it's the crusades, it's death, Very it's medieval. the antichrist. Hmm. Yeah. Hmm. I did like the Good Omens book an awful lot. It's got one of the better, the apocalypse is the thing that is on the way, stories I, I've, I've seen. It begins with the birth of the Antichrist, mixing things up the hospital. The chattering nuns of St. Saint, uh, Saint Beryl? Yeah, they get, they get a scene there. Mm-hmm. The forces of good and evil are kind of vying over this Antichrist character, but all of the different tropes of the apocalypse are coming to pass, and all these kind of forces are coming to like this little nothing suburb in the middle of England somewhere. It's kind of an ironic take on the destruction, the end of everything. That kind of sums it up. So I like Pratchett, I like Gaiman, and I like, who are the two actors, the good ones that do the thing? Them? David Tennant and what's-his-face? Yeah, what's-his-face McGee. Like, <laughs> the two of them, their interaction, like, they're, it, it's really good. Their interaction is great. Their character development is great. Michael I Sheen just, and David Tennant. Yeah. That's right, Michael Sheen, who I, I love both of them, yes. I just, I, I haven't finish it it's just i feel like what you just said explains it they took every single trope they could find and they implemented it and they made a great story it's like a farce film of the end of days but done by british people so can i can i uh, do a little corrections corner here sure so i the (laughs) the person who plays the knight in the seventh seal is the other wrecker hower Oh, also known as Max von Sydow. <laughs> I love Max von Sydow. <laughs> so he, yes. Um, so he is the crusader knight who uh, plays chess with death. Does he win? Spoiler alert. I'm not going to ruin it for you, but there is there is also a, a very notable dance macabre. Is he every man here? I, I think he stands, in, he, he is the... The every man. Okay. Mm-hmm. I will never know the ending to this movie. Unless you tweet us at the dispatchist and say, hey, Jamin, the ending is dot, dot, dot. Because Victoria won't tell me. <laughs> it's the medieval era. Everybody dies. Hmm. I just have like two more that I want to give shout outs to. I'll take two. The Stand. Another yes. classic. Yes. Yes. That Stephen is King. very apocalyptic. Mm-hmm. That's the one with Sean Connery and the poison and Alcatraz, right? No. Oh, that's The Rock. Mm-hmm. Sorry. Only slightly related. What's The Stand? It's the one where killer flu destroys all of humanity, and then there's an apocalyptic battle between the forces of uh, dark evil and the biggest magical Negro character that has ever... Yes, it's problematic, (laughs) to be sure. And, you know, none of it, of course, has any relation to our current state of affairs but there's a character randall flag shows up in both um stephen king in, in both two stephen king works the stand and also the dark tower and he's this and he's the antichrist figure in both of those i'll buy that yeah but the other one that i want to give a shout out to is taking talking about sexy antichrist uh american horror story apocalypse uh-huh recent series Yes, uh, I think this one when was Apocalypse. It was a couple of years ago, and the dude who played the Antichrist or the Son of Satan is a Australian actor who uh, is beautiful <laughs> and is like the perfect person to play the Son of the Devil, Cody Fern. Who is, I think, apart from um, Tom Ellis, is another perfect actor, perfect casting of the Antichrist slash 
son of Satan slash okay. Lucifer. But did he have the shoes? Yes, as a matter of fact, if you Google Cody Fern shoes, <laughs> Check. you will see there's lots and lots of pictures on the internet of him wearing cloven-toed, fancy, fancy, fancy leather shoes. How about that? <laughs> Did uh, you look it up? Cody Fern shoes. Can we put that on the show notes, please? Please, 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 mm-hmm. please. Oh, they're nice. But yeah, I don't. I I feel like only I don't know. You're you're making some Amer- You're making making some American horror story money to be able to afford these fancy cloven-toed shoes. They're nice. I like them. Fancy mm-hmm. goat shoes. Cody Fern just wore goat shoes on the Golden Globes red carpet. Well, I think out of desperation, I'm going to try and wrap this up. Then um, okay, try. <laughs> Happy Halloween. <laughs> Thank you all for listening. Uh, if you've enjoyed this, please consider supporting us on Patreon. The link will be in the show notes and on our website. I really love it. Th- say thank you. Say thank you for. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us and for sharing us with your friends. And until next time, we will see you in hell. This podcast is copyright 2021 by The Dispatchist and its Creative Commons. You're welcome to reuse with attribution. Look for us on your favorite podcast app. Say hi to us on Twitter or Gmail at The Dispatchist, no spaces. Check out our website, dispatch.ist, for more episodes, show notes, and a variety of hellish resources. <laughs>